help my DTC grow. Strategies and quick wins that build up 8-figure DTC brand. How can on-site optimization skyrocket your e-commerce sales? Samuel Larson, founder and CEO of Sierra Gurus, is an experienced conversion rate optimization consultant and worked with top Shopify brands including Mentasleep, Flare Audio and G Fuel. He shares practical real-world Sierra insights on his YouTube channel, positioning himself as a leading figure in the Sierra industry. This episode dives into the world of on-site optimization and its transformative impact on e-commerce. You will gain insights on these key questions. How can you enhance the conversion rate, average order value and lifetime value in your e-commerce business? What are the effective ways for you to leverage your traffic for revenue boosts? What common CRO pitfalls exist and how can they be fixed? And of course, I'm here to help your DTC brand grow, so I ask all my favorite questions at the end. Books to read, mistakes to avoid, quick growth tips and tools to use. Now let's get ready! There's a lot of micro tactics that can be useful, say, from LinkedIn postings. One thing that I've noticed, though, is that it's a very difficult base to build a fundamental understanding of how to approach these things. So I think they can be useful once you have the base built on. And the base, you can only really build it from a structured place, such as courses. I found CXL Institute to be really good for this. But for these little additional tidbits that you would get from elsewhere, they can be really good to supplement that knowledge. Then take it to the next level. One thing people miss though is the foundations. So if you don't know when, for example, you can A-B test, then all of these little tactics can take you astray and actually even end up hurting you. Maybe, uh, I don't know, D2C Brands who has just reached seven figures think that, okay, I have to A-B test everything and it will be great. But as I see, it takes a lot of effort and lots of energy to have everything A-B tested. How could they be do it thoughtfully? My approach has been that we're essentially looking almost like two lawyers. So if you have the previous version and you have the current version, can you reason well enough that maybe these changes, we either have such confidence to them that we don't need to A-B test it, or if we do, then does it make sense? So in those kinds of cases, you have... Essentially, that barrier first that uh, you can look into and uh, the cost of testing may not be worth it. And then you do have another layer there with the testing. So not everything has to be tested, say, for a certain confidence threshold and uh, only for transactions. You could look at it, it from a little bit of an unscientific perspective, thinking this is good enough. So, for example, if we are testing something on the product page, does this improve the number of checkouts that we have started instead of testing it for transactions? Because suddenly you get a lot more data. And for smaller stores, not getting all that many transactions per month, you can then actually test more things. And perhaps more importantly, you can test them faster. So this way you can accelerate the learning. And just by accepting a little bit of imperfection, you'll be able to gain more in the long term because otherwise you'll be very slow you might be testing one thing in a month and then it's going to be a slow learning and you're not going to get as far over a year period for example than somebody who can test uh, every week or every two weeks and uh, someone who can actually decide this may not be worth testing so i can say a lot of uh, no's to those opportunities so basically you have to implement the Pareto principle that the 20% of the 
job or 20% of the moves you make gives the 80% of the results you will get. So focus on this 20% and just A-B test these. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. There's also this investing principle that most investors would be better off if they only had a limiting number of investments to make on their lifetime. And almost view this as the same principle for e-commerce stores. So if you had, say, only 20 tests that you could run on a yearly basis, what would be those? And then make them really good. And that's where you have your punch card. And once the 20 tests are over, then you actually need to wait around for the next year type of thing. So you just uh, spread it out and uh, be very thoughtful of it. What should I focus on? For example, average order time, conversion rates, lifetime value. How could I uplift my, my existing seven-figure band to eight-figure? What are the necessary steps to research and, and modify my page or product page or any funnel, any customer journey to make it happen. I know that this is a wide, wide question, but I hope you could narrow it down to a few steps. Yeah, definitely can help you get started on that at least. You have all these opportunity buckets. Say, I traditionally think of it as you have traffic, you have conversion rate, you have average order value, and you have lifetime value. Out of these opportunity buckets, you can look at what kind of things you would tackle at first. As a merchant, you have some things that you know that, okay, there's this traffic opportunity. We could perhaps improve the product-based load time, for example, for conversions. We could test upsells or cross-sells for average order value. We could set up more Klaviyo flows for a lifetime value. And once you have listed all these items on these buckets, then you can look at it from their perspective to see where the bottleneck is. And then you are in a position to attack the biggest bottleneck there. So say, for example, it's average order value. Then now you have the priority list there of what you would tackle next. And then I would recommend approaching this as a sprint. So you take a couple of weeks to fix it or one week to fix it. And then you look at this again. Where's the next bottleneck? And generally speaking, it is the bottleneck that ends up hindering all of the others. So for example, if you are running on a really low average order value, then it's going to be more difficult to get traffic part. You'd need to have a high conversion rate to make it worthwhile. And so there, tackling the biggest thing first makes everything else easier. And that's what we're aiming for on that. And how to implement these strategies? So if you find these bottlenecks, do it regularly and that's all. So every every two weeks, every sprint, you will get these bottlenecks. You will you will see what is worth to uh, increase or develop. And at the end of the year, you have I don't know 26 sprints behind you and 26 great things that you've done or mistakes that you've done. <laughs> that is essentially how startups and growth hacking companies would go about it. So they would be working on this recurring system. The main thing there is to just keep going and uh, don't stop the progress because uh, then once you hit uh, that point where you have actually stalled, it's way more difficult to get uh, going again. Essentially, it is that kind of uh, unsexy reality of uh, getting better is that the work needs to be put in there. And uh, some of these will, of course, fail as well. So then you build on the learning that okay, this thing we thought was not going to be or wasn't good. So then you essentially build your theory and your knowledge base to be a 
better predictor of the future with those uh, improvements. And uh, here, once you have uh, essentially say a team that uh, can implement some of these things for, for you, you might even get to a point where you'd be able to run two things at the same time. Say you have something testing on traffic, of course, and then say something on the lifetime value part or the email flows, for example. And once you can piece it like that, then you can find even more speed. That's one way to hack it. If I hit the ceiling with revenue or AOV with lifetime value on my own or with my team, how could uh, CRO gurus help? How could a third point of view could help me? Because uh, if I'm stuck, if I hit the ceiling, I could be desperate and want to search for a solution and it will be agencies. And I know that D2C brand owners could be maybe skeptical or critical about agencies that, okay, they will do everything as they used to. They just want my money and they didn't uh, get me any results. How could I be sure that uh, that they will bring me results that I haven't thought about? Yeah, definitely. You should be able to see these things early. So if there's no great ideas or additions early on, then they usually won't come later on either. There, one great thing that agencies have that you don't have is a little bit of a fresh perspective and also a perspective from many other brands. So there, if you are only working on your store, you will have a situation where that is uh, all you've seen from the inside at least. And it's very easy to get a little bit narrow-minded looking at your site all day, every day and thinking, how do we improve it from here? Where a third party or another set of eyes, experienced eyes, can see things that you have likely missed on your site. So that's essentially that kind of open brainstorming where you are now in a position to get the ideas that are a little bit out of your box. And that way can help expand the vision and the reality beyond what you thought. And oftentimes it happens like that, where people think that I have maxed this out simply because they have maxed out their own knowledge about the subject. And uh, as a generalist, you can't quite uh, be excellent at absolutely everything. So at some point, you do hit that ceiling and you essentially need uh, help to get to the next level. Um, But overall, there's no real magic to it. It's just the time put into it and uh, really experience that uh, enables to see these uh, different things. What do you think? What problems do D2C brands face in a growth phase? And how could they tackle it? What, what are the necessary steps or, or moves that they need to do when they, they saw that, okay, the traffic is increasing, maybe the conversation rates are not so much, and all the other metrics are almost the same, but they are seeing an increased rate of traffic, maybe because of PPC, maybe because of organic search. What, what could they do? Yeah, very common thing is that the brands are relying on the same strategies that got them there. So there's this saying that what got you here won't get you there. And many times that is very focused on traffic and acquisition. And that is definitely something that needs and is needed in the first phase. And after that, it often requires a little bit of a shift in thinking. So how do we get this to a next level where we are able to go to a colder and colder audience and still make it work. So you might have your absolute core audience on Facebook and you can essentially dominate a niche, but then you have that 
the limitation that he just can't scale it further. And that's uh, a very common one. And for that, that is uh, that shift where now, instead of essentially kind of selling to friends and family, you could say even, or the enthusiast, the people that are very problem and solution aware, you would be going for a wider audience. And that uh, often would even require a different type of funnel or different type of explanation. So that's where that uh, adjusting becomes very, very important. And there, the problem is that then it does take a lot of creativity and there's not a, an exact clear playbook for that. Because if there was, there would already be, everyone would have solved this and then it wouldn't have worked. So that's the unfortunate part. Yeah, there, there won't be any necessary uh, need for agencies <laughs> to have <laughs> or consultants. Yes. If everybody would know that. Yeah, exactly. And that's also one that uh, keeps the game interesting, right? Because if it is too easy, then just there's nothing to improve, right? You already have it perfect. And so it's nice to be in an industry that's uh, constantly evolving. And uh, it is also a bit scary, right? But at the same time, this is where the winners essentially get shuffled because uh, things are changing. So it's not uh, like the 1950s where the same big companies were always there and uh, dominating. So it's an opportunity as well. CRO could be seen as a magic for people or growth hack for D2C brands. So I hope they are keen on CRO strategies and quick wins and growth hacks. But also this means CRO in, in my perspective that there is a constant flow of traffic maybe the average number of traffic that i i used at my d2c brand and i want to make more of this traffic how could i make the conversions better to get more revenue from it so for this a little disclaimer when you see case studies of uh, CRO, etc. And there's not that many people talking about this, but you are looking at the absolute best case scenarios. And oftentimes it can be incentivized to also be a little bit shady about the sample sizes and uh, the backgrounds of those. So there is this uh, reputation of magic. And many times uh, that can be a misleading in terms of the actual results that are sort of average results. That said, there can definitely be a lot of quick wins. Also, when it comes to just taking a look at the e-commerce stores that haven't had a lot of CRO in the past. And the approach for achieving those would typically be, if you go to any agency, they would usually start you with an optimization audit. And this is where, depending a bit on the agency, it might be more data-driven, it might be a bit more heuristic or experiment-driven. And uh, generally speaking, you'd be looking at uh, your store from all these different areas where you can improve it. So say it could be site speeds, it could be technical things such responsivity and uh, functionality it could be ux it could be copywriting it could be design all of these things and then you'd be looking to rank those say for how easy is this improvement to implement how impactful would we expect this to be and from there you get your top list so okay this is the ones that uh, we definitely should tackle first and usually this tends to be a little bit of 80 20 already so 
For small brands, I would recommend actually that this is where you stop. You just uh, do the changes, you implement them, and then you're waiting for your store to grow into this uh, seven figures, seven figures plus, where you are getting, say, a thousand transactions a month. So you can actually test properly. And that's where you can start uh, a real A-B testing program to uplift your conversions. So there's this two-phase approach where usually you'd have the audit first, and then you'd have more of an ongoing thing where you would approach it a lot more from a testing perspective. What kind of perspective do you have? An experimental or a data-driven when you yeah, inspect D2C brands? This is one where I think I, I heard this uh, legendary poker player say that the, they never go to a, a game with uh, a set strategy. They essentially look at the, what else is out there and then adjust it. So for this, I think my answer would be very similar. If the data is there, it's uh, great to be data-driven, especially for companies, because uh, if there's a lot of data, they tend to be bigger. And bigger companies generally have their things more together, and they also have more to lose. So you'd want to be more careful. On smaller companies, they tend to have, of course, less data, less to lose in a way because they haven't quite figured out to a degree where they can grow to a bigger company. And in those kind of cases, we can move faster. And on the bigger cases, we'd want to move a little bit slower, be careful, and essentially be one where we are more worried almost about uh, losing what we have instead of gaining. So it's uh, avoiding losses while going for the wins. There, on the small one, we'd want to go for the gains about as uh, aggressively as we can, because uh, there's the upside is way higher than the downside. So in that kind of case, I would say generally a lean toward the experimental part simply because uh, there's a lot of patterns and not everything can be seen from the data so this kinds of strong emphasis on why this change would be an improvement and then coming up with the, that argument and essentially saying that okay this is uh, better than the default because of this so that's the generally the approach and if that can be backed or disputed with data all the better what are the things that cannot be changed when you go as an agency or you are as a d2c brand owner wants to improve your store that cannot be changed i, I haven't asked this question from nobody yet but yeah it just scratches my mind what are the things that okay i won't touch this because all will collapse mm, yeah definitely i would advise against reinventing the wheel so sometimes especially i see this in apparel where stores put a lot of focus on their branding and then they start thinking that uh, we shouldn't have a shopping cart or this uh at the cart button is uh, something that uh, we don't doesn't fit our brand or these kinds of things. So really the fundamentals are something that uh, should not be touched. So e-commerce is still e-commerce. People are used to shopping a certain way. And if you disrupt that process, you introduce too much cognitive load and then people are just not going to bother, generally speaking. Uh, so those are the standard things. I would also very much advise against going too different on, say, checkouts or cards because uh, those are the ones that you're essentially looking to get out of people's way. So don't make it complicated or fancy. And also, whatever changes you make, try to also calculate the cost, not only in terms of cost to you, but to the customer as well, because the customer is the one that will need to load this change. So if, for example, you are implementing some video banner or some GIF that is a quite uh, taxing to load, then it will have a direct impact on the customer. So those kinds of things are ones that uh, I'd be hesitant 
to touch them because the, the basics are working even without those. And what are the common mistakes that you fix or that any D2C brand owners could fix at their store maybe tomorrow that they listen to this podcast? One of the most common ones is um, V-Focus. So it is created from the merchant's perspective and it might have too much complexity on the store. Maybe the categorization is uh, from uh, the store owner's perspective and their language. And then the store itself is a very common one, talks about uh, themselves, not the actual customer. So that's uh, in a way what I'd call lazy copy writing. So you just have uh, this uh, focus on us and you haven't really thought about what the customer's use cases would be, how they would uh, be making the decision. And uh, as a result, it ends up being this uh, boring sales pitch. Other common mistakes is uh, being a bit uh, too standard in many ways. So you just have, uh, say, a Shopify theme and just fill it in. You haven't really thought about uh, the actual brand story and these kinds of uh, things. So essentially, it's a product catalog. And uh, the question of what's your unique competitive advantage is something that uh, people haven't really defined. It's uh, one where they just expect the products to do the lifting and uh, you could get so much better results if you really honed this in and uh, that would be store-wide as well. So it's not uh, dependent on any single product. If you had the time and energy to write a book, what would be the title of it in the topic of CRO? I would probably want to write it about the psychology itself. So uh, probably would be something about arguing for better conversion rates. So it would be really customer focused. And there uh, we would essentially probably tackle their pain points. Okay. It would almost be, you can have a shopper checklist. So going through question marks, such as saying, I trust the store. This is the best option for me right now. These are my concerns. And then checklisting those with that and tackling it from that perspective instead of necessarily the website builder's perspective. So that would be an interesting angle on it. So purely from a visitor perspective, starting from this engagement that okay, I either started from Google and now have multiple tabs open or I just stumbled into it this from Instagram or Facebook and uh, okay here I am I have uh, 90 seconds what's my journey wow great last but not least I want to give some seeds and nutrition for D2C brands to grow and I will have four quick questions for you first what books or influencers would you recommend to read or follow for a D2C brand I would definitely recommend uh, the CXL Institute there's a couple of courses that are good for basics so that's uh, definitely one I think uh, I've also put an, uh, a very thorough content on YouTube myself, actually, with the help of, with the aim of covering things that are typically not covered on uh, CRO space. And there also, I would recommend that uh, you essentially look at this uh, yourself regularly. So you can check on with this principle of uh, checking for the problem areas on your store. And then seeking from, say, the CXL Institute or these kinds of in-depth content sites that uh, you can then find solutions for those problems. Even, uh, say, Shopify has some good uh, conversion optimization content every once in a while. So you can uh, look into those uh, resources. Great. The second one is, what is the biggest mistake that D2C brands could make the single biggest one? Usually it's getting tactical overwhelm. 
So there's all these gimmicks and they tend to have just uh, say too many apps and uh, just uh, getting it to a point where now they're trying to hack this way, hoping for a miracle that, okay, maybe this loyalty app will make a difference. And uh, most likely it won't. So just uh, focusing on too many things and getting too distracted by the shiny new objects, I would say that's the biggest mistake. Great answer. The third is, could you tell me your quick growth tip related to D2C brands that they could apply maybe tomorrow? If, for example, you are running unused scripts on your site, just uh, remove those. So, for example, if you are not needing your hot jar, um, you're not using that data, just turn those scripts off and it will immediately improve your site speeds. And uh, that's one of the things where I'm a big fan of these kinds of suggestions that uh, we have 100% confidence on it. If we make the site faster just by doing these kinds of simple things, then it will make a good difference for you. So that would be something. Don't gather unnecessary data if there's a penalty for it. And the last question is, you mentioned the tools that maybe you would just get rid of, but what are the tools that you would use as a DTC brand for growth? From a CRO perspective, uh, definitely Google Analytics. For heat mapping and understanding users, I recommend Microsoft Clarity. So that's uh, essentially better from Hotjar in the, that sense that it's, uh, it is free so you can gather your uh, visitors without limits. And you can also turn it off easily with Google Tag Manager for the pages that you don't need it to be. That's a, a good tool. Then definitely for D2C, Clavio is uh, from my perspective, for, by far the superior email service provider. You uh, definitely need to also have Google Tag Manager. So just running it uh, through there because then you can start tracking different things. So Google Analytics uh, would be implemented through that. And then lastly, Google Optimize is a great uh, A-B testing tool. Unfortunately, it's going to a sunset right now. So one thing, you can of course use Optimum for A-B testing. So there's uh, going to be these kinds of good uh, alternatives for A-B testing as well. But generally speaking, you don't need that many tools because all of these tools will also be loading on your site. So there's a penalty for that tools. And it's more about uh, using a few tools really well rather than using a lot of tools. Hmm. That's a great closing sentence. Thanks, Samuel, for accepting my call and giving this tremendous amount of value for the listeners. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. And don't forget to try these tips today. For more seeds and nutrition, stay tuned for the next episode.